Today's show is made possible by your friends, Ron and Don, licensed realtors with Windermere Midtown. When you're ready to sit down and strategize about your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to The Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 126 of The Ron and Don Show. He's Ron Upshaw, and I'm Don O'Neill. We're live from the shores of South Lake Union on this Monday morning. Coming up on The Ron and Don Show, yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. Why wouldn't we be? Uh, It was 4th of July over the weekend. I wrote something about the flag because I really struggled. Do I fly the flag? Do I not fly the flag? And I'll tell you why I ended up flying it. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. Also, I think this is really interesting. Uh, If you look at the front page of the Sunday paper, you'll see evangelical Christians that are repenting, uh, and they have Black Lives Matter t-shirts on. Hmm. That's very interesting. Let's talk about that. Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. I-5 over the weekend. State Patrol... They allowed some protesters out on I-5. In fact, they closed I-5. I was driving home late Saturday night, and I was driving home late Saturday night into Sunday morning because I went to see my good friend Jim Brown, firefighter Jim Brown. Oh, uh, tell Jim I said hello. Cancer killer Jim Brown. By the way, he says uh, hello to you. And as I was driving back, I got off at the Mercer exit, and I had to see somewhere between 30 and 40. Oh, they're stacked up. One after the like, SUVs, and state patrol, police. Like uh, I saw the same thing. They're not not just late at night. They, those they started in the afternoon. Yeah. They staged all those police vehicles one after the next on the Mercer on-ramp both ways yeah. north and south uh, you had yeah dozens that's because the night previously there's a gentleman he went the wrong way down a off-ramp on-ramp he went on to I-5 as a result of that he killed a young woman he also hurt another young person and now state patrol is saying we aren't allowing people out onto I-5 I think a lot of people are shocked to find out that state patrol was allowing that in the first place let's think about the chop you look at Chief Carmen Best uh, you look at the mayor Jenny Durkin she said yeah it's the summer of love well typically the summer of love people get shot people got shot that's when jenny durkin and also police chief carmen best stepped in and said we're going to shut down the job we're going to take the east precinct back were you kind of shocked to find out ron that the state patrol said yeah if you want to march on i-5 go for it uh and now captain ron Meade has come out because he's head of district two here and he said hey uh we're not going to allow that anymore and if anybody goes out on i-5 uh it's criminal trespassing expect to get arrested so their stance on this has changed as a result of seeing a death on I-5 over the weekend. Yeah, my, my viewpoint on this has been evolving over the years. And, and back in the day, I, I think I would roll my eyes and sort of poo-poo these efforts or these these marches all the time. There's always all these marches in Seattle. And especially the ones that would go onto something like I-5, I, I was, in my heart, I was against it. I was like, come on. Like, we, we you're walking on a freeway and all the stuff you just said. However... As I've been trying to pay attention uh, in this last iteration since George Floyd and actually open my ears and listen to other people, the thing that, that has dawned on me is I've had a voice. 
Like you, you and I were on terrestrial radio for over 20 years and, and we had a daily voice. If I wanted to say something, I got to say it. And a lot of people listen to that. If uh, I wanted to write something, you would get thousands and thousands and thousands of, of people that would read what you wrote. And so I, I guess I, I had sort of, maybe it's white privilege. Maybe it's whatever you want to think, or just, just not being self-aware enough, um, these folks that are marching, they don't feel like they have a voice. Like, yeah, they can go to maybe their Twitter account or their social media that maybe has uh, dozens or hundreds or maybe a thousand people on it, and they can post something that they feel strongly about. But by and large, they don't have a voice in the same way that you and I had a voice. And if they, the, so for them, the whole point is how do I disrupt something that's important to people, like getting around smoothly? And hopefully a couple of them will listen. Hopefully a couple of them will notice. Why are these people walking on I-5, which is dangerous, which is disruptive, which is meant to grab attention? What is it about? And and obviously 99% plus are just pissed off. I'm trying to get home or I'm trying to get to my date and you are, are keeping me from that. And so therefore I'm very angry at you, but maybe there is one or two people. It's like, wow, these folks feel so strongly about this, that they're willing to put themselves in harm's way to get a message out. They want to say something. And you've talked about this a lot and you were one of the influences on me changing my mind on this. It's easy to tweet something. It's easy to go to your Facebook page. Uh, they always they use that cliche, the least I can do. It is the least you can do <laughs> to say, I'm mad about this. Or look, look at this meme that I found and I'm going to repost it. It takes time and effort and energy and commitment to get out of your chair, get into your car, or take the bus or whatever you got to do. Go to a protest, make a sign. Uh, take your mask and to take your time and effort and to walk into March. And yeah, maybe it happens so frequently that it's lost a little of a judge here in Seattle. But um, I think it's sort of enlightened in a way to, to say, yeah, we're going to let you express yourself. It is inconvenient. It does cost overtime for police. But the alternative is to be heavy handed and to continue to suppress. And all that does in my mind is create more pressure in that pressure pot. And that pressure is going to come out one way or another. And so I think letting people let blow the steam off in a way and say, listen to me, uh, is not a bad thing. I'll tell you what, I, I feel a, a number of years ago, I would have been law and order on this like you. Uh, just referred to and I would said hey you have no business being out on I-5 I'd be upset with state patrol for allowing people out onto I-5 because it endangers everybody that's on I-5 it endangers the drivers it endangers the marchers and it surely surely endangers those troopers uh, and I feel for all of them. I feel for the protesters. I feel for the families of their loved ones that have been hurt, maimed, or killed. And then I, I feel for those troopers that are out there. Well, you, you have to go out now, and you have to clear a scene 
and you were trying to protect some protesters so that they could protest. And then someone comes bounding down the on off ramp the wrong way, ends up taking a life and hurting somebody now, if else. If we find seriously. out that that's intentional, well, yeah, we don't know then, yet. We don't know yet. But we don't if know. we find, he wasn't, we he find, wasn't, State Patrol is saying he wasn't impaired, and we don't know what his motivation right. was. If yeah. we find out that he was just confused. Uh, and trying to get uh, find a way an access point because there are a lot of weird access points down there. Um, and, and but if we find that this was intentional and he intentionally accelerated into a crowd of people, that's an entirely different conversation. If this was accidental, which uh, it's both things are a tragedy. One is more of a tragedy yeah. if someone did this on purpose. Yeah, I've read a lot more about civil disobedience, civil unrest. And when people talk about Dr. King, they always talk about the fact that he was uh, anti-violence. You look at a lot of his speeches, though, where he addresses violence or he addresses people's behavior. There was a line for him. And so I think Dr. King would support. He would support people going, pouring out onto I-5. He would support civil disobedience because he understands, to your beautiful point, Ron, that's how we get folks' attention. And let's not forget, they didn't have the internet. They did not have the internet. White-controlled newspapers would frame blacks specifically, and those that were helping with the civil rights movement, you'd be framed. You would you you would be you would be framed almost an American traitor in the papers when you go back and you read about some of the civil unrest and the civil disobedience of the 1960s. And so here, when we see that happening in Seattle, Washington, it's really a tip of the hat to Dr. King and what that movement did when they walked across the Selma Bridge, for instance. Again, I will say this though if you're going out on i-5 what do you want when dr king was going across that selma bridge it was about one thing very they were very specific about it and i've talked about that in other podcasts why they went across that bridge when rosa Parks sat at the front of the bus which she did for 12 years she did it for a very specific reason and when dr king came along and partnered with rosa parks uh that's where she made him famous. He made her famous as a result of her sitting up front in that bus. But he was able to craft a message and say, hey, this is what we want from the Montgomery, Alabama uh, boycott. When you're going out on I-5, we understand Black Lives Matter. But what do you want? It's the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, Ron and Don here for Les Schwab. You know, COVID-19 is changing the way we all do things. We're getting pretty good at staying safe. And so keep it up with a free safety check right now at Les Schwab for your vehicle. We encourage you, schedule an appointment online to expedite your service and limit your time in the store. Yeah, don't forget, Ron. Now through July 11th, save up to $210. That's right. Save up to $110 off a set of four select tires. Also, $50 off brakes with the purchase of a set of four tires. Also, another $50 off alignment with the purchase of a set of four tires. So, you want to find a store near you? There's 85 to serve you guys. That's easy. Just go to leschwab.com. That's leschwab.com. And now you can book online so you don't have to sit in the waiting room. Also, don't forget, this is a limited time offer while supplies last. Actual discount amount depends on the size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at leschwab.com. Les Schwab, let's say it together. Doing the right thing. It matters. They're hard workers, they're hustlers, and they're fun to hang out with at the same time. <laughs> when it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. 
If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what commercial real estate expert Laura Miller did. I purchased a home in Alki, and it was a really cute uh, mid-century modern home. It was uh, a lot of more management than I expected, and I am a broker, but I do handle commercial. I don't do residential, and Don came with Ron. He was incredibly well-prepared. They were just really impressive. And the things that they outlined that they were going to provide, their services, were it just made it easy. It was a laydown. Ron and Dawn seemed completely committed to listening to what my needs were and addressing them. I also got the sense that they're adaptable to what different clients' needs are. So for me, what was important was communication, ability to reach the brokers, to feel like I still had a fair amount of control on the deal. I like to have a fair amount of communication as to what's going on in the market, what are you doing today, <laughs> to um, you know move the sale forward. And they were collaborative. They came forward with some really great ideas, even little details like, could you water the plant while you're there? They're like, "Uh, of course. And they would show me them watering the plant. (laughs) The weekend that we sold the house, um, they were really successful and they came up with some creative ideas and they were always present, completely available to accommodate my schedule. Uh, We did most of our meetings in what I would consider off hours, late night meetings, no problem, never felt rushed always felt like they were really attentive to details. I can't wait to do another deal with them. It was great. It was awesome. We did really well. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Hey, everybody. It's the Ron and Don Show. Ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to Ron and Don Show. We're live from the Les Schwab Studios, episode number 126. And here's a question, going back to the Sunday paper here in Seattle. Uh, we see white people with t-shirts on, says BLM, Black Lives Matter. We see them with their heads bowed, they have masks. It looks like they're at some kind of service, socially distancing. And at this service, it seems like we're seeing a mass Repentance. People are repenting, they say, and the, and the story's about how evangelicals uh, now are stepping forward and repenting uh, for not valuing black lives. Ron, you and I have spent some time in the evangelical church when we were kids. Uh, what's going on here, and do you think it's good? Boy, this one was uh, uh, confusing to me, because if you, if you read the story, it seems like the through line is you had a, a black minister— Basically, calling out publicly his his brethren, other other people he felt were influential in in evangelical Christianity by name. So he would go out and sort of call people out and say, "Hey, what what are you doing specifically? Where is your stance specifically?" And so the the story in the newspaper sort of charts the 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 interaction of this these two men, a, a white minister of prominence and a black minister, and, and how they're evolving through this. And so by the time it sort of trickles down to the congregants, they say they want to repent uh, for their attitude, which I guess is is a good thing. Viewing this through the lens of Christianity in a way, you know, Christianity was used to bolster slavery 
you know, if you go back and, and you're always great about the historical references, you can find verses in the in the Bible in the Old Testament that talk about slavery. And so, you know, people in America would use that as, hey, it's in the Bible. Like God never says, you know, look at this Old Testament, man, they got slaves all over the place. Then they actually was a re-editing of a Bible. There was a black Bible, which I don't know if, uh, if people know about. Uh, and this black Bible was an edited version of the Bible that was given to slaves to make them feel like slavery was a good thing and it was ordained by God. And, you know, it's very complicated, the history of slavery and Christianity. There was actually, uh, I was listening to a podcast where they talk about, I believe it was Virginia. There was a law back before America was founded, but in the, when it was a commonwealth, that if you were a Christian man, you could not be enslaved. So there was actually a slave that converted to Christianity, took that to court, won, was granted his freedom, and then the legislature immediately changed that law and removed the law. So they're like, well, we can't have that. We can't have people just converting to, to our belief system, and therefore now they're a free person. So, you know, there have been many, many iterations of that sort of thing. So I think I, it bothers me that it has to come through a religious overtone. I don't think you need religion to figure out your stance on this to me. Now, I guess it's a good thing. Whatever gets you there, I guess is a net positive. But to me, it's like, do you, do you really need your pastor to stand up and to tell you this thing? Like, if that's where you're at, that makes me sad because it's like, I think there's an awakening in America right now that regardless of what your faith is, this is bubbling to the surface in a way where if you're paying attention, I don't think you need the Bible. I don't think you need a pastor. I think you can just look at your own morality and your own sense of wrong and right and go, I need to change. I don't need to stand up and wear a repent t-shirt. I just need to change my behavior. Yeah. So you make, you make a good point. And I check myself on this because when I saw that in the paper, I'm like, wow, the evangelicals just made it about the evangelicals. Now you have white evangelicals on the front page of the paper with Black Lives Matter shirts. They made the front page. They made the front page by making it about them. I have spent my whole life making stuff about me. <laughs> That's a great point. I have. I have completely spent my whole life doing that. And that just comes from an insecurity of not growing up, not being good enough, uh, not having a father around and just wondering, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Straight A since I was in second grade. And even now I'm making this story about me. I'm going over my grades in the second grade. See, I did that. I did. And that time I did it on purpose. But I have done that so much in my life. And, and when you look at this, how do you repent? I think it's good maybe to acknowledge that publicly. But then what? But then what? What happens when you walk into your white flight school and everybody's still white on Monday? What happens when you walk in your congregation and everybody's still white on Sunday? You and I both know this, and I'll be preachy about it since we're talking about the evangelicals. Let, let's preach. There are 600 black and brown boys that need big brothers right now. If you want to repent, go be a big brother to a black or brown boy. 
You want to repent? Can you coach? Anyone can coach. Your brother, Rob, proved that. He's out of school. Kids need a tennis coach. He didn't know anything about tennis, but he knew kids. He knew their hearts. He knew how to reach them. He knew what was important. Because tennis isn't about tennis. It's about spending quality time with your peers. And it's about, as a coach, being able to be shoulders for someone to stand on. Think about all the conversations and all the things that you learned around sports. All the things that you apply to your life today if you're involved in sports. And so what did Rob do? He went out and he watched YouTube videos and he learned how to be a tennis coach. When they needed a bus driver, he went and learned how to drive the bus. That's what I want to see. I don't see that. I remember going to a Cleveland High School football game and we were playing Roosevelt and you look up in the Roosevelt stands and it's packed with parents. You look up in the stands of Cleveland and most of those kids are black and brown kids. And you look up in the stands, you don't see their parents. And so you know what everyone says? Everyone says it's because those parents don't care and those boys don't have daddies. And mama's at home and she's on the government spoon. You know where mama is? Mama's working her third or fourth job right now. You know what that, that football team does? Not only do they raise money to go out and buy food for those boys because they know if they have food, then the boys will show up. If they have cool uniforms and food. I asked Joey Thomas one time, who was the coach at Ballard and also in Garfield. I said, what makes your boys come play football? He said that, food and cool uniforms. On the Cleveland side, they don't even have uniforms that match. Some of the boys are trading shoulder pads and helmets and mouthpieces. Roosevelt Pack. Guess where those parents were? Cleveland. They're working. And they can't come across town because maybe they don't have a car. So then they raise money for bus tokens to give to parents so that they can come and support their kids in an away game. But when you look at that from the outside looking in, you look at the stands, you're like, wow, look at the Roosevelt kids. White flight. Those parents involved. Look at the Cleveland side. Parents not involved. Not true. Well, the parents thing that I th- their parents working their eh off. So I'm going to put a bow around it right now, Ron. I, I don't need a picture of you repenting on the front page of the paper. What I need from evangelical Christians is for you to bust out of those four walls of your church. All these churches have fences around them. Be a, Build a fence because your belief system or be a force, be a force in your community, be a force in other communities. I would love to see all those people on the front page of, of, of the Seattle times. Go be a coach, go be a mentor, go get involved. It's not about standing in front of us and putting on a show. Cause once again, I'm a guy that has done that all the time and I still do. And I make it about me and uh, it's, it's rather gross. I just saw a picture online that resonated with me, and I was thinking of it. It's a woman at a march. She's white. She's holding a sign that says, not one person in the Bible was white. Take all the time you need with that. <laughs> that deserves some time. <laughs> boyhood friends ron and dave i mean ron and delbert i'm just kidding here's ronna and donna (laughs) 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to episode 126. We are Ron and Don live from the Les Schwab Studios. Also, don't forget we're licensed brokers. And in fact, uh, you heard about Laura Miller's adventure uh, with us. I'll start with a sit down. That's what we did with Laura. We could do that with you too. Let's sit down. Reach out to Ron. Ron at windermere.com. Don O'Neill at windermere.com. Everything at Ron and Don Radio. Uh, dot com. I want to share something with you that I wrote on the morning of July 4th. And it's as I contemplated whether I was going to put up my flag or not. Because I looked around my neighborhood and there were no flags up. And typically there's lots of flags. And I'm like, what do I do here? So this is what I wrote. So I'm going to be honest. Uh, I woke up this morning, July 4th, to hang my American flag like I do every year on the 4th of July. And I hesitated. And I thought about not hanging it. I took a moment to check in with myself to ask, hey, Don, why are you flying this flag? Because it's clear that many people in the United States don't feel like the symbol of freedom, this symbol of freedom, represents them. My former girlfriend uh, works for the current president. Her job is to set up venues where he's going to speak. One of the most important directives that she's given is to make sure, quote, that we have plenty of U.S. flags And make sure you bunch them up together so they can be seen on TV. Because after all, it's a television show. We saw that during his speech the other night. And that's not unique, though, to this president. So I'm not going to beat him up for it. All presidents, going all the way back to Kennedy, they gave similar directives. They all believe that lots of flags on the stage and on television means lots of votes come November. One thing this year has taught me is that some Americans feel like the U.S. flag, it doesn't represent them. It's also shown me that some people connected to the U.S. military have very strong feelings about the United States flag, especially the ones that have lost a son or a daughter in war. So what do I think? Well, I ask myself that today. Why am I hanging up this flag or not hanging up this flag? I think the U.S. flag is a symbol. This is what I believe, that the flag itself, it carries no magical powers. It doesn't have the ability to cure cancer. It can't stop a mass shooting. It can't start a war. Or it can't stop a car from barreling down I-5 during a protest and taking a young protester's life on Friday night. It's simply a symbol of who we are as a collective group of humans. And it symbolizes what we value together, what we support, and how we see ourselves and how we see each other. For those that say it's a military flag, you know, you're right. The first American flag was created for the United States Navy. And for those that think that the first U.S. flag was sewn by Betsy Ross at the direction of George Washington, that's a super nice story. But it's not accurate. In fact, it's completely wrong. Have you ever heard of a young 14-year-old black girl by the name of Grace Wisher? History's overlooked her, but I want to take a moment to recognize her. Why Mary Pickerel is actually given all the credit for designing and sewing the first Star-Spangled Banner flag that Francis Scott Key used as the inspiration for writing the national anthem, our national anthem? Well, missing from the history books and all the paintings that depict the making of the United States flag, the Star-Spangled Banner flag is what they called it, is Young Grace. Not only did she help create it, but she also helped design it. And then she sewed it. I should also mention that Mary Pickerel was a slave owner. Mary had an indentured contract with Grace's mom for Grace's services. 
History has been very careful to protect this story about Betsy Ross and in some ways hide the real story. Think about it. A flag that's supposed to symbolize freedom is created and sewn by a young black enslaved woman who was sold to Pickerel and then was tasked with helping to create a symbol that in reality ended up oppressing her. That is why the Betsy Ross story, while not accurate, really is more palatable for lots of Americans. But again, it's a wrong story. And again, if a young black girl by the name of Grace Wisher, yeah, she was tasked with helping design, create the Star Spangled Banner flag. Let's not forget that. The flag since then, because you say don't change the flag. Come on, guys. It's been changed 27 times. Is it time to change the flag again? Its current iteration goes back to 1960. How about that? Well, we're taking some time as a nation to look behind the history of our currency, our monuments, and the naming rights. I thought we should also take a look at the history of our flag on the 4th of July. And today I made a decision. Today I've chosen to fly the flag. Here's why. I fly this flag for every soldier, Marine, airman, and sailor that has had the courage to defend my right for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I also fly her. For the Asian Americans that were forced into intern camps during World War II and had everything taken away from them, including their homes. I fly her for the Middle Eastern Americans that were harassed and murdered on American soil after those planes hit those towers on September 11, 2001. I fly the American flag for the women in this country that fought like hell to get to the boardroom, then left to have a baby. And when they returned, they found out that the boardroom had been locked. I fire for every good cop out there that has to take it because of what some of the bad cops have done on camera and off camera, and they have disgraced their profession. I fly for every athlete who feels compelled to take a knee, to bow ahead, to sit, to stand, or leave the field of play as the national anthem is played. I fly it for the 60,000 people in Seattle who weeks ago silently walked through the streets of my hometown hoping, praying, and demanding a change in our culture when it comes to black lives. And I fly it for you. I fly it for me. I fly it for my son's generation. And no matter the color of your skin, the partner you choose to live or love, the religion you practice, or whether you want to wear a mask or you don't wear a mask. And today... I fly her for every black baby, every black child, every black teenager, every young African-American, every OG that is out there. For those that have felt depressed, disrespected, shunned, and terrified by society that I have fully participated in, which means I must fully participate in making sure all of you feel heard, feel seen, feel understood, and feel represented. I fly this flag for you today. And I fly this flag for young Grace. Because her life, her black life, and her contribution, her black contribution, her human contribution, it mattered and it matters today. Let's not whitewash our history. Today, I thank you, Grace, for the incredible part you played in our nation's story. 
And I ask for grace for all of us on this 4th of July, on this 4th of July weekend. Let it ring today, you guys. I love you all. That's up on my Facebook page. Love to get your thoughts. He's Ron. I'm Don. Reminding you, keep your head up. Keep your shoulders back. Let's keep looking out for each other. And let's keep listening to one another. It's the Ron and Don Show. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Oh,